Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the 22nd edition of Cinema Effect. I'm Zach, and I'm joined by Disney's number one hater, Jaden. G'day. You're going to have a lot of reasons to hate on Disney and use chat, I think. Yeah. That's going to be fun. <laughs> and and uh, JC, a.k.a. Fitzy, a.k.a. Liam. Hello. Nice to have you with me today, guys, for Cinema Effect, episode 22. I can't believe we're coming up on 25. Or on 24, 24, 25. That means half a year of this crap. That's nuts. That's nuts. 26 is actually half a year. It is too. Wow, I can't count. Wow. I mentally decided that 24 is half of 52. (laughs) That's what happens when you leave school. Amazing. Well, uh, this is Cinema Effect, the podcast where we review and talk about a different movie every single week. The show posts every Monday, 8 p.m. Australian time. On YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So listen to us wherever you can. We appreciate you doing that. And make sure I've, I've got to mention this. I wrote it down last week. Follow the Instagram page, Fitzy Curates That. He does a great job. Go and check it out. Some He's got a much polls. bigger following than the YouTube channel. What was that? Some good polls. Like Some a, good polls. Yes, like we had a great one. poll last yeah. night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Get in on the uh, X Men poll. I don't know if it's still up, but get in on it. Get in all the other polls, all the good content over there. And uh, remember to submit your questions, thoughts, reviews for next week's film in the YouTube comments section. We've got our specific question of next week's show ahead of time. We're going to be asking you, what was the first film you ever saw in a theatre? I'm going to have to think real hard about this. Probably ask some family members. Or I don't know if I know the remember answer. first. You know, yeah. Sure. Yeah, 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 exactly. So let us know. I think this will expose some of our ages. Uh, to say the least. This week we're talking about The Hateful Eight. Let's get into the data dump and get into the conversation. Um, The Hateful Eight opened in the US on, and this is the first time I think from memory, that I've ever actually stuffed up and not put in the date, as I've just realised this very second. But if memory serves, it was the 20th of December 2015. If it's not the 20th, it was very close to that, so I apologise. Uh, the film was written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. It only took long enough for us to get to a Tarantino film on this show, but we're doing it now. Um, the cinematography was done by Robert Richardson, who I mentioned because he is a long-time Tarantino and Scorsese collaborator. Uh, the music was composed by Ennio Morricone, who, we, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, unfortunately passed recently. But today we get to talk about, I'm sure, you know, a, a major part of this movie is terrific music. The film stars Samuel L. Jackson, Kurt Russell, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Walton Goggins are the main four that I've got here. The film won the Best Original Score at the 2016 Academy Awards, which was the first Oscar that Morricone ever won. Um, the film had a budget of $44 million, worldwide box office of $156 million. Its genre is it's a mystery, I guess, a crime mystery maybe, whatever you want to call it. Is it kind of? It's not. Really, it's not considered a western, is it? Because it really can only be thought of as that in terms of its setting, but nothing else. No, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd still call it a western, though. Like you know, crime, mystery, thriller, western. You know, it kind of comes at the end to round it all up. And you, yeah, right. And I guess, I guess every other western's only ever called a western because of its setting. Uh, the film has a runtime of two hours and forty-eight minutes, and we got the synopsis. In the dead of a Wyoming winter, a bounty hunter and his prisoner find shelter in a cabin currently inhabited by a collection of nefarious characters. 
that describes uh, the movie setup pretty well, I think. Because, Lord, we spent a lot of time in that cabin, that's for sure. Um, guys, this is... I've seen this movie before. Loved it the first time. How did you guys feel about it watching it the first time? Yeah, I really liked it. The massive influences from The Thing and uh, Reservoir Dogs, and they're all... It's got the, you know, usual Tarantino traits, I guess, great existing characters and the dialogue and stuff, so yeah, it was really, really good. Does Fitzy sound weird again to you, Jay? Yeah, just to make sure. Yeah, I was, I was okay, okay. Yeah. Is there a is there is there a difference in your environment or setting at all, Fitzy? Or are you in the cupboard? It's a three meter cupboard. <laughs> yeah. Alright, we'll see how it goes. We'll keep going. But uh what about you, Jaden? Um yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Um as, as I expressed last night just when we were chatting, I think it's way, it's so long. It's so bloody long. And I mean, really like, is, yeah. you know, two hours 47. I mean, like, I've, I haven't watched longer, but I mean, like, for some reason in this film, it just seems so much longer. But, um, no, I thought it was right. pretty, I thought, I thought it was pretty decent, you know, pretty good. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's no denying this movie's long, obviously, you know, just read the runtime. But, um, and yeah, you know, it definitely, it has its slower moments for me too. But I don't know, something about it. The length kind of works for me, though. Like, compared to, I know you guys love The Good Man and the Ugly more than me. Like, that movie, the the, the length and the runtime bothered me there a bit. Um, it doesn't bother me as much here, though, which is, yeah, which is interesting. Obviously, it bothered you more. Huh. I wonder why. But, uh, no, I, I really, really like this movie. I love it. Um, I kind of, maybe the reason that I don't mind the length as much is the way in which it follows it's it has this chapter structure um and as a result i kind of find it easy just to get invested in the film and to this you know structure and long form kind of storytelling that it's going for because there's a lot of just downtime with nothing happening except just really long character exchanges um and i don't know i just kind of because that's clearly what it is i just find it really easy to buy into because it's so kind of distinct, I think, as opposed to just, you know, a, a typical genre film that is just really long. It does feel quite unique. So I don't know. I kind of, that doesn't bother me as much as I think it normally would. Although I do agree. Yeah, it definitely has its slower moments. There's definitely a lot of setup that kind of leads to, uh, towards the end there, which is great. But, um, but yeah, no, I really liked the movie a lot, but, uh, was the length uh, a factor for you, Fitzy? Is it something that bothered you at all? Yeah, I never, I never felt, I never like, you know, felt the length. Um, I was never like, it never bored me because of the length. But, um, yeah, I don't know if the reveal warrants that kind of length. I think you could have the same kind of thing or effect with twenty minutes shortened, but. Yeah. yeah, I get that. Do you is the reveal in your mind kind of is it Channing Tatum? Yeah, well, just the whole thing that you know the three of them or the four of them are like a part of the gang and stuff. And yeah, right, she's part right. Of the gang. I mean, it's a good little, it's a good reveal, but it's not like you know, I don't know, I don't know if it's like mind shattering enough to like warrant the massive runtime. Um, sure. And like in the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like personally, I felt that like that extra attention to the characters and 
the situation's kind of, you know, built so like brilliantly to to the last uh, graveyard um, battle or duel or whatever you call it. Yeah. But I didn't feel there was like a similar, you know, moment of like absolute like absolutely like unbearable tension in this. I mean, there was a lot of situations that held their own suspense, but there was no like singular moment that I felt it was all building to. Right, right. I see that. I see that. Um, Where did you feel then that for both of you that like it drags the most in that sense? Is it chapter three, which is where they all arrive at the cabin? Because I feel like that, that for me is also where I start, you know, phasing out a little bit where I'm, where I feel like I'm getting a lot of the same information repeated to me. These characters introducing themselves to other characters, even though we already know all about them, you know? Yeah. I, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't place a blame entirely on chapter three. I just think that with most of Tarantino's films, you can cut, you know, a minute or two from here and there and it'll be the exact same. I think, I mean, like one of the most glaring offenses is at the start of chapter four, I think it is when like they're showing the exact same journey that was shown at the start of the film. But it was all like, you know, the Domingue gang, whatever, the, 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 you know, right. as they're going up there. Like, it's, it's unnecessary to show us, you, you know, to show them passing through the same river and the same cross and all that shit where we know exactly where they're going, how they got there and the situation as to what they got there. And I mean, like, it's not like, you know, along that journey they introduce anything. It's because only once they arrive at the cabin, you know, they do. So it's things like that where you can just cut a minute from that, you know, and just like to show like that, like throughout the film that, you know, would aid its runtime. Yeah. I'm, I'm conflicted about this, honestly, because I, I totally get what you're saying. And I kind of felt that what you're saying, that specific complaint more actually like in the, the last bit of chapter four, as opposed to the start of it, when like we get the exact same perspective, the, the, the part we already got of Kurt Russell arriving at the cabin, but we just hear it from inside. And that's literally it. They're all just kind of s- just sitting there, like w- waiting for the dialogue to play out outside to the point where they open the door again. That took like three minutes. Yeah. Um, but yes. Yeah. That, that, that like, that's another yeah. example. Yeah. yeah. It bothered me more there just because like, this is literally exactly the same as what we heard before, except now we're just watching these people inside, just kind of sit around, wait around for, you know, that was weird. The, the journey didn't bother me as much though, just because I, I don't know. I find the, the, the shot of the, um, of the crucifix, I guess of, I don't even know what that is. it was. That's not an actual body hung up there. It's like a statue, isn't it? I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. Whatever it is, yeah. I just found that kind of really captivating. I really like it. So that much seeing that again, I was like, Oh, that's a cool like tie back. I like that. But um Yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I don't know. I just kind of buy into the chapter structure where I feel like I'm kind of watching a book play out in a weird way. So it kind of I don't know. It doesn't bother me as much here. I don't know if I can really adequately explain why, other than the structure feels so different that I kind of treat it differently. I don't know. Do you, do you guys think this movie has a unique vibe? I personally don't think I've seen anything like this movie, but you guys obviously seen more movies than me. Does this remind you of anything in particular? Because Tarantino had his influences, but I, I haven't seen a movie like this really. I don't think. Do you mean in terms of like the like the the, the primarily like the one the one setting type thing, or do you mean like the chapter structure, or like like I think you- all of it. Yeah, 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 all of that. Uh, absolutely, the one setting thing is definitely a part of it. That that. Like the one setting and the mystery aspect definitely come from Reservoir Dogs, hundred percent. But then the chapter structure that doesn't that I don't believe Reservoir Dogs had a chapter structure. Oh no, it did actually. No, I'm lying. It totally did. Never mind. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um. Well, before I watched it, I looked at uh, Tarantino talking about his influences, and just last night I looked at a Q and A between him and Chris Nolan, him talking about uh, his influences for the film there as well, and it's something that I thought while. Uh, watching the film and something that's like pretty obvious and just in hindsight, which is that um, the thing is like like the, a massive influence on this, and it's like well, the surface similarities is like Kurt Rus- Kurt Russell as the as like one of the main characters, and um, the snow and the one setting and the Ennio Morricone score, which um, some of it was actually used. For this, like unused music from the thing, yeah, and um, but but mainly the sense of like paranoia and distrust between all of them, which uh, Tarantino talked about, and um, yeah, also also Reservoir Dogs, but like overall, there's I feel like this movie has like so many influences just in terms of like because you know the thing is not a western as well, and mm. also it doesn't have like that chapter structure, so it's like I think there's a lot going into it, like every Tarantino film. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I don't know. Weirdly, like, even though it does take a lot from Reservoir Dogs and it does have those influences, he kind of still really has its own identity, at least to me. Maybe, you know, if if I've seen The Thing, maybe not. But um, I didn't know about those similarities to The Thing. So The Thing is also one setting. It's a larger setting, though, isn't it? Because it it takes place in, like, an Antarctic base. So there's more to it than just, you know, like a one-room cabin. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, and they're but they're also like locked in by the snow, and like they don't know who to trust and stuff. But right, it's not it's not just the thing. There's also I think, um, Taren, he talked about like '60s TV shows, Western TV shows, and like I think it's like the Great White Silence or something. So there's like a lot of stuff going into it. Mm. I um I love the the one location setting, just this one set. Uh, with the characters, you know, vast majority of the time there. I think it's so great. I think it's a great concept overall. And I think the only, yeah, Reservoir Dogs is the only other movie, I believe, off the top of my head that I've seen that does that. Um, but this setting is way better than Reservoir Dogs setting, um, in my opinion. I just love the, the singular cabin room, how it's so open, it's so spacious. The movie is shot in ultra wide. So at any time you can just, it's so you have, the audience has such a great spatial awareness of the location and of the set that you can like easily lay out where everything is in relation to everything else as opposed to, you know, sometimes in films the way they're cut together or shot, it's kind of difficult to just, uh, I guess, create a map in your own brain, a layout of where things are just in this small contained space. And this movie doesn't have that issue at all. When you, you know that there's the two chairs in the centre, there's the bar over here, there's the table here and so on, and... I think that's really cool that it's such a small space, but we're able to understand and know so much about it. Um, I think it's pretty, pretty neat. But uh, because I don't remember Reservoir Dogs really doing that for me because Reservoir Dogs is basically just a big empty warehouse. And I was like, okay, that's fine. It's got a toilet, I guess. But um, I don't know. And this movie just has a, and the fact that it's a nice warm place outside of the blizzard has a bit of a cozy feeling for me, at least before it all goes to shit. I, I, I love the dialogue, obviously. Everyone talks about Tarantino's dialogue. It's terrific. It's so good. And maybe that's actually might play a part into why the length doesn't bother me so much because, sure, I agree that we could be cutting things here and there, but if I get to enjoy this dialogue for a bit longer, like, not really an issue for me. 
Um, so we get a ton of that. All the characters set up. I love everything before we even get to the cabin um, it, it, with the wagon and all the Samuel L. Jackson interactions with Kurt Russell and then Walton Goggins shows up. Um, Chris is your name. And I, I love all that stuff. And that's just all, it's just glorified huge exposition is all it really is. But I don't know. I just found it super entertaining. The whole Lincoln letter introduction was really cool. But um, yeah, it, take, it takes a while for you to kind of actually get to the thread of the movie. Um, and then it's still slow. But then it really all kind of comes around to, I guess, the moment where, Really, the, the moment from where the movie just goes all in is when Samuel L. Jackson starts talking to the uh, to the general, whatever his name was. Bruce Dern, I think, played him, if I'm not mistaken. But um, that whole conversation, and we get the flashback, which he, he told the story about what happened to his son. And from that point onward, the movie just goes apeshit crazy in a positive direction. Um, were, you, were you guys just super entertained from that point on, or does it still have slow moments after that? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was entertained throughout. It, it didn't, it never felt like it dragged. And even like the early carriage scenes are still, um, are still great. But, um, yeah, from that point onwards, it's pretty much just everything goes, uh, Everything, yeah, it goes to shit, basically. Um, although, you have the flashback to the, you know, the secondary story does slow it down a little bit. But, it does, yeah. But, yeah. I still like that, though, because it kind of it kind of peeled back the layers of every lie that they told, you know, everything. The whole, the, the Mexicans reveal was great for me, like how... <laughs> Minnie had the sign up about the about the Mexicans, and uh, she started letting dogs in. That was so great. I love that so much. Um, poor old senior Bob. But no, I, I it definitely added a layer to the movie that I think was necessary. But it does slow the pacing a little bit. But regardless, though, it does feel like from that point onward, there's just moment after moment after moment. Um, I want to know if do you, if you guys have a favorite because there's obviously the flashback of the poor naked son having to suck SLJ's cock. And then we've got uh, bloody the poisoning of the coffee and it just keeps going until Channing Tatum and flashback and so on and so on. Um, the movie kind of becomes a roller coaster at that point. Yeah. There's just, there's no moment that like stands out to me above any other, you know, but like, I do, I do like that second half a lot, but yeah. um. I don't. I don't know if I like that. You know, there's four of them that are working with Minnie instead of just like, you know, one or two of them. Oh yeah, uh, why is that? Well, just like you know, like you see someone poison the coffee, and you know it's not the guy on the piano, and you know it's not, you know, this person or this person. It's like you're trying to figure it out at that point and like put the, you know kind of um, put the threads together or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like figure it out. But um, there's no, I don't feel like there's a way to figure it out. It's just, it's just kind of, you know, they have the mystery of the poison coffee and then it's fairly soon after that they kind of reveal that it's all of them. It's like, it doesn't right. kind of maintain that mystery, you know? Yeah. Like, 
when you think of Knives Out, it's like, you know, a lot better of a mystery in a way. Sure. You, like, you're constantly given like new details and you're trying to like, you know, reconcile these details together. But, you know, this film doesn't really do that. It just kind of gives you the, the poison coffee and then like you don't know about the sign. So you don't know that he's lying, the Mexican. Yeah. And so you can't figure that out for yourself in that way. The, yeah, the movie, that's a good point. I haven't really thought about that. The movie doesn't really present its facts and, and play its cards in a way that the audience is kind of meant to figure anything out. Even though, like, naturally, as a viewer, you're trying to figure it out. But that's not really the intention, I guess, because, as you say, like, Samuel L. Jackson had figured everything, like, he had already had, like, eight more clues in his whole brain, in his own brain, rather, the entire time that he wasn't revealing to us. And then he just kind of comes out and says, oh, well, I noticed this earlier, I noticed this earlier, and he had already figured it out. So, in that way, I guess it's more of a mystery for the characters or for the protagonists than it is us. Um, Yeah. I think there's enough clues for the audience. Because, like... The fact that Samuel L. like starts questioning Bob immediately, I mean that immediately sets sets off alarm bells in your head. I mean, like from that moment, I knew that Bob was not trustworthy. True. Um, and like, like just showing like you know that single jelly bean in the thing and like the the like the missing glass, it shows you that there was a struggle and that something had occurred there. In fact, and like it's not much. It's it's not as much as you'd usually give in like a murder mystery type thing, but you know I think it's enough that to, to keep the audience satisfied. Yeah. Yeah. It it's I think it's satisfying, but at the same time like you, you know, there's no like oh this all like connects kind of moment because you're not given you're not privy to the details of that, that Samuel L. Jackson has. Mm. Um but I mean yeah no, it's it's still satisfying. It leaves you out a bit, yeah. I guess for me the character dynamics and the dialogue and all that is driving the movie so hard for me that it, it didn't bother me so much that I couldn't really work it out. And J- Jane's right. There are hints and there are things that you can go off of. But, yeah, you're also right, Fitzy, at the same time, where it's like, yeah, I don't know if the movie – the movie, yeah, the movie doesn't present its facts in a way that really – I don't think Tarantino wants the audience to try and figure it out at all. I think he's just kind of more than happy no. for the characters to figure out for themselves and you just watch, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. And, I, and this- yeah, I think it's fine, yeah. Yeah, and this is just me thinking, like, in retrospect, like, it didn't actually bother me during the movie because, like, yeah, the main point is kind of the distrust and the, the great dialogue and all that and the characters. So the mystery, you know, isn't, like, f- front and centre for the audience. But When watching, I was entertained enough to let Tarantino take me on the ride. I wasn't actively mm-hmm. trying to solve too many things. But apart from the fact that, like, I was waiting for, like, a reveal that Domingue was... Kurt Russell's daughter. I was like, it's bound to happen. It's bound to happen. But uh, then, uh, yeah, nothing. Oh, <laughs> oh wow, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even consider that. Yeah, I mean, I was right that there was a relation. It was just the wrong relation. You know, it was to a character that we had never known. So I was like six steps yeah. ahead of the movie, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think I actually thought that. But then I remembered, like, in the carriage that he, like, elbowed her face and... You know, I don't think that. No, but I, 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 yeah, like, like I had that in mind too. But I still thought maybe he's just aware, of like how evil and manipulative she is. That, like, you know, he has no problem with this. 
and then like later on, you know, we're going to get like a, you know, like a soft emotional type thing, you know, like we're like, you know, like not like emotional, but like that Tarantino type of emotional type thing that we'd get. And like, a, mm. uh, yeah. So the only mystery that I was trying to solve, I was wrong, but you know, that's all right. I do like the solution, if you want to call it that. I like the, uh, the reveal of what's actually happening with the, the four gang members, because on a, from a rewatch perspective, knowing that already, it makes it really obvious. And it's just like, of course, everyone who's already at the cabin before they arrive is on, is in on it. Makes perfect sense. Like <laughs> that's where, that's where they were going to go. That's where the plan was going to be executed. Totally works. But it's so funny to me, yeah, on my first viewing, though, how much I, I hadn't even considered that. I'm like, yo, which one of these bloody people is it? Um, yeah, I don't know. I just liked how they were all working together. It worked for me. And then Channing Tatum showing up, that was that was cool. Although, did the opening credits, like, spoil that a bit for you, I guess? Because it did for me. I was like, oh, what, Channing Tatum's in this movie? What the hell? And then... uh you know, and then when he popped up, yeah, it would have been crazy if you didn't know Channing Tatum was in the movie, and then that happened. Well, uh, yeah, I saw his name in the, in the, yeah, the opening credits, and I saw a bunch of other names, so I thought there'll be like something like more people yeah. would be there, like there'll be you know some town thing or something, but um, right. But then I totally forgot that Channing Tatum was in the movie. So when I saw him, like, well, when he shot, um. Samuel Jackson's gonads off uh, from under the uh, from under the uh, thing. I didn't actually know that that was Samuel L. Jackson. Like he was speaking Mexican, and it was kind of at a weird angle, so it didn't. That didn't. Uh, I mean, it wasn't. I didn't know it was Channing Tatum. Right. But then right. when they showed the flashback, it was obviously it was him. That was, yeah. I didn't like the reveal. He was under the floor because, like, we were giving. What? We were given nothing towards it. It's just, it was just cause like, had they heard noises or had we been shown the hatch more explicitly or like, had there been an actual hint that there was an extra player in the game, it would have been okay. But the fact that Tarantino just takes it out of nowhere, shoves it in your face, it doesn't do it. It, it, it the, the reveal is not done in a satisfying way, you know, because oh, like, yeah. cause like it goes back to the thing that Fitz was talking about before about is the mystery satisfying or not? Like for a status for the, for the audience to have a satisfying mystery, we have to we, we have to be given, you know, believable clues and, you know, decent red herrings and shit. And like we never want you never want to just pluck something out of nowhere and for it to just be explained away because then, you know, the the creators being because like the audience doesn't like to be dumber than, than the creator type of thing. So like the fact that there was no rev, like there was no hint towards it, 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 it feels cheap, you know? It feels like Tarantino is going, Oh, how smart am I? But you know, there's not Type that type of thing. Oh, I get. I never, I never took it that way. I don't know. I never, I never. Yeah, the, the how smart am I? I never really took it that way at all. And I think it just links back to me not really seeing it as a traditional murder mystery thing. Like, like, like you know, like where you just went over ad nauseum. I don't really think that the movie's trying to present its clues in that kind of way. If it were trying to make a consistent effort to make the audience figure it out. And it did this, I would 100% be with you, Jaden. But I just, I don't know. I don't think the movie ever, it never plays all its cards. And I think that Ch- Channing Tatum is just another example of it, um, not doing that. And I thought it was really cool. I love the shot uh, where it just gets shot out of nowhere and it just pans down through the ground. I love that. And then it just cuts to chapter four. I thought, that, uh, uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite moments in the movie for sure. Yeah, I disagree. <laughs> 
Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, like, I, that just comes down to different tests, I guess. But, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think, because, like, the thing is, like, we could have – another way it could have worked is that had they implied that there was an extra player, you know, it would have – when Samuel L had them all lined up against the wall, you know, grilling them, you know, the audience would have thought, oh, these are all innocent and there's actually someone in the basin type of thing. And it could have worked on a different in a different way type of thing. And I mean, obviously it works fine. Oh, right. It works fine in the way it is. But had it been played more more traditionally, that would have been, you know, the way that the audience mind went. Mm, that's true. Do you think that that might have still have been like too quick though? Like for the audience to be told, because when he's lining them up, it, it, that's pretty much right before Chain Tatum shoots him. So... There's not a lot of time there. If they're told, if the audience is told that there's a fourth member, and then it just happens. That would that feel a bit strange too? No, there's a fair bit of um, I, I like like they're on the wall for a fair bit. I I uh, like I say a fair bit for like I don't know fifteen odd minutes I reckon, where like he's just telling them why this is not right and that. But I'm talking about clues like earlier in the film that 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 could have been dropped like you know from the moment they got in type of thing, not to be right. not not just announced there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. That's true. That could have been cool. God damn it, Tarantino! Why didn't you do that, man? Yeah, why can't you make a normal movie, Jeez. <laughs> do we have favorite characters? Because this movie is all about its characters, and um, I've got a stand. I've got Walton Goggins as my standout. Chris, whatever his name was, the uh, supposed sheriff of uh, of of Red Rock, and that's another element of the movie I haven't really got, had a chance to talk about is the fact that the, the the deception, and we don't really know what anyone's lying about or not. I mean, for the four gang members, that becomes obvious for them. But as for the characters that are, we find out are kind of not involved, we don't know what they're lying about. We never really learn if he actually is the sheriff of Red Rock, even though I, I 100% believe him. But uh, he's a standout for me. Uh, sorry, what were you going to say, Len? Um, yeah, Daisy is easily my favorite yeah. character. She's like so good. Jennifer Jason Lee's acting. You know, she's just kind of crazy, and but you kind of uh, figure out halfway through that she's actually kind of, you know, quite smart as well. She can like figure things out. So she's yeah. like, and and then she becomes a gang leader. So she's kind of like a dangerous character as well by the end. But um, no, yeah, all the characters are super great. Um, yeah. Although I think, uh. Oh, oh. No, no, they're all, they're all great. Oh, he hesitated. Nah. Come it's on, who, who do you like less, Fitzy? Well, uh, okay, when the, um, when after the, the lineup at the wall, they have like, you know, Tim Roth's character and, um, oh, what was the other guy? Joe Gage. Yeah. And like, I feel like they didn't, I feel like they didn't use the character as they were enough, you know, like their true selves enough. Like we didn't get much time with them oh. being revealed because like Tim Ruffin had died really quickly after we knew that he was also a part of the gang. But um, yeah. that that's nothing on the character. That's just kind of, you know, that's just kind of the script. But Huh. I get, I get what you're saying. I feel like, I was satisfied with Tim Roth's real identity enough just, and, and this sounds like super, it's kind of superficial, I guess, but just because of the accent switch, just because we get his accent completely changes. 
that for me was enough where I was like, oh, okay, no, that that's funny. This guy is just completely not that. But um, I agree with you, though, for Joe Gage, though, where yeah, where yeah. we find out he has a different name. I, I didn't really get any sense for him of what his real personality was. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't feel like he changed that much. It was kind of still a mysterious figure by the end. But um, yeah. I guess that's part of the point because, like, a lot of them are still mysterious figures by the end. Yeah. So there's this, you know, all this distrust. I mean, but, um, the best lies incorporate the truth. So I think, you know, them all, you know, adopting parts of their identity to make the new one. I think that works out. True, true. Is that what uh, is that what Samuel L. Jackson did with the story he told to the colonel? Oh yeah, I reckon. Like bullshit here. Like, like like that. That was just to antagonize him to pick up the gun. That was great. Yeah, hundred percent. Drew him in for self defense. I love that. Um, but do you think? I would assume that he. Now I'm trying to think though. Like I would assume he actually did kill his son. Obviously, yeah. I don't think what what he said happened actually happened, but um, yeah, uh, I would assume he did kill his son. But now I'm thinking, did he? Maybe he didn't, and he's only saying that. Did he hear about the fact that the colonel had a son in the room beforehand? I can't remember. And maybe he just like took that detail and just completely made the whole thing up. Or maybe he did actually kill his son. I don't know. Um, wasn't it? It was mentioned, wasn't it, during the movie? beforehand? No, like in the in the cabin, wasn't it? Yeah, because the, the general talks to Chris about like he's up there to visit mm. his son, so like that 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 like that's possibly right. Why, exactly. Like that's possibly where Samuel heard it. But um, yeah. But the, the fact that the general said if my if my son was like if he was like a if he came if he did what he came here to do he wouldn't be dead or whatever like that like that makes me think that like you know Samuel did actually kill him but just didn't go to the lengths that you know, the, the film tells you. And it makes it so much more effective that the characters constantly in the first half are telling stories about each other um, to each other as well about, you know, their backstories and what happened to them back in the day and all this shit. And it makes, like, part of me is kind of like, wow, I would love to see some of this visualised just because it is a lot of telling and telling, um, even though it is engaging. But at the same time, though, it is really effective that that's the only, like, story or flashback or whatever you want to call it that we actually get to see visualized that isn't just the character saying it you know oh yeah so no yeah that's right i like chris the sheriff a lot walton goggins is a standout performance for me in this movie i'm with fitzy as well jennifer jason lee just completely captures your attention on the screen she is terrific but um walton goggins is terrific he's got a i don't know his his accent and his tone of voice just throughout the way he talks to everyone else is like really unique i really like it a lot um and yeah his whole character like you know, this Confederate seems kind of right. Well, he's definitely racist and all this. And then the way, I don't know, he had a kind of a cool, soft sort of arc throughout the movie and he kind of ends up just chilling with SLJ in the end. Mm. I appreciate that about it. But uh, what about you, Jane? Do you have a favourite? Um, poor old OB, who was just doing his job and being nice <laughs> and he gets poisoned, I mean. Yeah. I know. Oh, He gets locked out in the storm and he's doing all this work with the fencing and shit and, and then he just yeah, gets screwed yeah. over and, you know. Yeah. Um, oh my god. What is happening? Getting the call from Lithuania from some scammer. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. RB, I I love that scene where he like runs into the cabin and like um takes the you know, the massive blanket off the wall and just goes next to the fire. 
Um, wait, was that him? Yeah. Or was that the Mexican? Yeah, that was him. Yeah. That was him. Oh yeah, yeah that was um, that was hilarious. Yeah, contributing to the whole structure and and book feel of the movie that I really like. It, it is those smaller moments like that. Mm. Like, yeah, it seems super random. I feel like in any other movie it could be a deleted scene, but kind of contributes to why I do like the length of, yeah, he just runs back in and he's just really cold and he just sits by the fire. And it's yeah. just like, when I say it, it sounds yeah. really dumb, but in the movie I'm like, oh, I actually like this moment a lot. Yeah, the film is super funny, like just generally. Yeah. When Daisy started singing about Botany Bay and I thought I was like, hey. Oh, yeah, that was good. That was I'm great. not going to lie. When she started singing, I I, I zoned out so hard. I was not listening to what she was saying at all. And then I read on the trivia what she was singing about. And I was like, wow, now I feel real stupid. Yeah, no, I'm just, you know. And then then I saw it twice. How bad's that? Then there was a Kaylee character as well. I was like, hey. Oh, Zoe Bell. Yeah, she's great. The Well, I mean, we talked about Channing Tatum reveal. I love it. We got the the moment of uh, Kurt Russell and the other dude who we, we were just talking about, whatever his name was drinking the coffee and them being poisoned right before uh, Chris drinks it and then then just splattering blood everywhere. I, I love that moment. That kind of, it, it, I guess I guess the Samuel L. Jackson flashback bit is where the movie really kind of kicks into high gear, but that moment is where the mystery really starts to come to the forefront again of your attention mm. um, and just kind of comes out of nowhere because, I mean, you're told that the coffee's poisoned, but still when Kurt Russell just freaking vomits blood everywhere, I was like, Jesus Christ, and that... You know, the aesthetic of that as well with the hyper-violent um, gore and everything that this movie obviously has, um, I really like that as well. Dude, when the narrator kicked in at, like, the, you know, Chapter 4 or whatever it was, like, when, like, Daisy yeah. I was so, I was so shocked. Sure. I, like, I was like, was there one at the beginning that I missed? Like, I was like, hold on. It seemed really random, didn't it? Yeah. I think it works, though. It's kind of like how it goes back to the book structure of, you know, you having, like, this, you know, uh, what's it called? Omniscient figure type thing. They're just telling you what's going on. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I liked it too, and it's so funny Tarantino putting on this really, like, serious voice. I've got to sound yeah. not like me at all, because listen to Tarantino at all in real life. Yeah. He sounds nothing like it at all. Yeah. It's so funny. I wonder how much effort he had to put in to put on that voice. I feel like, yeah, yeah, I agree with 100%, Jan. I feel like it ha- it was that kind of risky of a decision. I feel like it might not have worked, just because, oh, by the way, I'm just telling you right now, that uh, this major plot device happened, and I'm just saying it to you. Uh, there's now poison in the coffee. Go back to the movie. It, like, it's kind of weird, but I don't know. It, in context, after we get the chapter switch, after what had just happened before it, I think it works. What else we got? We haven't said about the score yet. Um, I mean, it's pretty great, isn't it? It's pretty bloody great. I love the opening main theme, and it comes back in chapter four as well. Um, but. Uh, the, the opening credits, I just love zooming out on this statue. So simple, but I, I found it really kind of uh, hypnotizing, for lack of a better term. And well, um, the, the, the tune was dope. They they used a crane for that because the Panavision lens doesn't have a, a zoom, so it's just a massive crane to do that. Really? It doesn't have a zoom? Interesting. Mm, yeah, and yeah, like it was kind of... Tarantino said it was like a challenge for him because, you know, he, he usually has a lot of quick zooms and stuff in his films. Yeah. Um, but one of the main things he tried to do uh, with with it was because it's so, like, wide and stuff. It's like, um, like you said, like, how you can see it, everyone in the shot and, like, where their positions are, you know? 100%. Like, in the, back, in the background, you'll see, like, you know, Joe Gage to the left and, like, 
you know, um, British, what's, what's the guy's name? Um, uh, uh, Oswaldo. Yeah, to like, like to the, the, yeah. the bar and stuff. So like, yeah, that really works for it. So yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, that that totally contributes to the spatial awareness I was talking about. You get, you see everyone at all different times of their position in the place. And it lets the audience kind of fill it all in in their heads, and it makes the whole architecture of the scene make perfect sense. This movie's stunning. Like I love the colors. I love all that stuff, but. Yeah, the ultra-wide adds so much to it visually. I I like it. The movie's great visually for all the reasons we just said, and those reasons aren't just things look pretty. It is actually practical to the story being told, which I think really elevates the whole thing. Uh, I have a really um, weird complaint that I just Oh, shit, all right. All right. Um, I really wished someone went to the toilet Um, or, like, just to the barn or something, so we just got... Like, I love that it's mainly in the cabin and stuff, and it's, it's, a, it's a great uh, setting. But, you know, we don't get any, like, gun fights like, outside of that. Like, I don't know, like, if... Uh, like, you know, if they utilised the storm in a way that it was, like, there was a there was a duel during it or something, I think that could have been a little interesting. Fitzy begging for more action sequences? What? What is happening? Like outside, like the you know, like just take one of those, one of those confrontations outside with yeah. all the all the beautiful snow and stuff, you know. That could um, have been cool. I love how, like, in the end, I totally got what you're saying, but I love how that complaint started with "I wish someone went to the toilet." Yeah, <laughs> but like, um, you know, someone should have gone to the toilet at some point. Definitely, yeah. All that stew and coffee and stuff. We got a bit off topic from the score. My apologies. I'll, I'll kick it back off with some trivia. Uh, composer, uh, composer, wow. composer Ennio Morricone was quoted as saying he would never work with Quentin Tarantino after how his music was handled on Django Unchained, uh, which for reference, I believe he composed an original song or two for that movie and one of them wasn't used or something, or something like that. Some of his music wasn't used in that movie. Um, however, he ultimately changed his mind and he agreed to score this movie. Obviously, uh, that was just a kicking back off point. How do we feel about the score? Yeah, the score was score was great. I think yeah, as I mentioned, there was some unused uh, unused um music from the thing, which really um elevated it, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, Ennio Morricone had like he had like two weeks to do it because because Tarantino had already shot everything and he had like a month. Um, to get the score in, but he was working on something else. So, uh, like Tarantino, I like, just had, had to like talk about it, talk about it with him a lot, and like convince him. And Ennio just got really like passionate about it and inspired. I mean, like, yeah, I, like I, I think it did its job, and that was it. Like, there was nothing that really made me say, "Oh wow, that was amazing." Really? Yeah, no, I don't like because like when you were talking about it just before, like there was nothing in my head that I was like that. I, like I was trying to think back and. There's nothing in my mind that I was like, oh, yeah, that was actually pretty cool. But, like, you know, I think it does its job. I think it serves it well. Um, some, I think, like, when it's a bit more dramatic and, like, you know, just, like, uh, in, in establishing shots of, like, you know, the cabin or, like, you know, just, like, like the uh, the, the carriage ride or whatever, like, where they're showing there's, like, you know, a wider scope of things. You know, when it, when it kicks up that bit, I think I, th- I think it's a bit more memorable. But, like, um, just as an overall, you know, 
I, I kind of, I don't know, I kind of see what you're saying. It definitely, for me, the main theme was a really standout, though. Um, I, I just love how, I don't know, for me, maybe, I don't know what Morikane was going for, but it had this great tone of, it was really sinister um, in, in its tone, but also, like, had the inclusion of, uh, dude, I don't know instruments at all, I don't know anything about music, but, like, had, like, some drum kind of beats to it. Like, I don't know, like, what do you call, like, the friggin' thing on a <laughs> on a drum that's, like, the, the, the gold thing? You know what I'm talking about? Like, the gold cymbals. circular thing? The cymbals. cymbals. Thank you. It had some, like, I feel like it had some or, cymbals like, in there, or, like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, whatever they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like yeah. it had some of that in there too. So you have got this really sinister, like tone that really feels like it belongs in this in this remote setting. But then you've also got the these symbols, I guess, or whatever it was, that kind of makes it at the same time feel like a Tarantino movie. And all that kind of just came together in this weird way for me to go like, holy shit. And the scores also got some really comedic moments as well at the right points, which stood out as well. I feel like the uh, the symbols kind of elevate, like add to that like a classic mystery type of thing. Like you know, like you imagine like a you know like your sixties seventy type of mystery, and like you know, you, I, like you tend to imagine like a smooth jazz score type thing. So I feel like the symbols will add to like that mystery type of thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, hundred percent. I like the um, the apple blossom like rock song that they play in the cabin because it's kind of like. Oh yeah, what the, the white stripes started playing at one point, didn't they too? Yeah, like it's kind of completely, you know, a you know, is it completely different from the setting? But um, I don't know. It's just really, it's it, like a great, like um, it's like a great um thing for Daisy's character, I guess, like to kind of like introduce that element. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean. I feel like the mate, we haven't talked about the ending. Have we got anything to say about that? I liked it. It felt kind of, even though, you know, everything in the movie kind of only took place in one day um, and it's in this really contained place. To me, the ending felt like when the credits hit, I felt like I'd been on a journey with these characters. Um, for like for sure. Kind of take a um, deep breath. Yeah. I think especially like with the relationships that developed between, between Samuel L and Chris Mannix, like I think, like their their journey alone, you know, is enough to like just like pull you over as like as to feel like you've actually experienced like you know uh, an actual journey because like they go from like this mutual dislike or distrust or just hate or whatever, and the way that by the end you know they're hanging together and they're lying in the bed and it's kind of like you know just chummy type of thing you know it's like it's um yeah I think the yeah. It's yeah, it's simple character development that I thought was really effective, and obviously there's you know there's the racial subtext to that, but and like you, oh, I don't know, like I felt the racial subtext. I was like, oh yeah, good for these two, but it never felt forced. It never felt like it was in my face. It never, it, I never got the impression that Tarantino is like trying to make a social message of any kind. It just really felt organic. Mm. The ending is very like nihilistic as well because as I said, they're probably gonna die anyway, but they kind of. They're kind of at peace in a way. Like they're kind yeah. of just sick of it all and like, uh, you know, whatever will be, you know. Um, definitely. And it definitely reminds me of like certain endings from different influences, Reservoir Dogs and other things. Yeah, so, really similar to Reservoir Dogs, yeah. I mean, I never looked at the ending any other way than they – I just always assumed that they die. I never really – do you guys see it any other way? Yeah. 
yeah, like even if they even if they survive the two to three days, there's always the possibility that there are, you know, the 15 people at the town that come and kill them anyway. Right, so, yeah. 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 The, the, that was a cool little thing thrown in there because the movie, you know, has got so much deceit and lies going on and most of them are just, I feel like most of them, the audience is inclined not to believe. But then, yeah, actually, maybe not because then you can't, I kind of believe that Chris is a sheriff, but regardless, I don't know, something about, like maybe it was her performance, but I believed um, Domahue when she said that uh, that there were fifteen men. I was kind of more on her side there on that one. I was like, I feel like there is. No, I just thought it was, I just thought it was her desperation, just trying to get out of there. That's awesome, though. Like the fact that yeah, yeah, everyone just comes away with who they believed and who they didn't. Let me throw out some more trivia. After the script leaked online, which was kind of an infamous thing that happened in 2014, I think, uh, writer and director Quentin Tarantino did not want to make this movie, which is fair enough, obviously. Uh, He wanted to convert it into a novel, interestingly enough. However, after they did a brief reading of the script in Los Angeles, the cast was stunned and got excited for the film, and with Samuel L. Jackson uh, persuaded him to do the movie, Tarantino accepted. So we almost never got this movie as a result of some... um... Yeah, well, the script reading is different from the the actual script that ended up happening because um, how Tarantino usually does his scripts is he he writes some like novels and just adds like all these like excessive like scenes and details in, and then when he actually gets on the set, he decides like what he's going to film and what feels right. But um, with this movie, it was the first time he actually did like drafts, so he went through like three drafts and I think like one of the drafts was the one that leaked but it wasn't like the final draft because he kept like improving and changing things yeah I'll uh, hit you with a bit of trivia now I'll take your, I'll take oh, your job back oh my god I, 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 I just saw that um that uh Pete Hecox is related is, is like related to the uh the gen like a uh, Michael Fassbender's character from Inglorious Bastard because his name's Hecox as well and I think Tarantino confirmed it, like he, he like implied at like some panels like that, and that's like, you know a, a good little uh, good little connection between his movies. Which um which character? Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I got this, guys. I got this. I got this. Don't. I literally had this one. God damn it, Oswaldo oh, Mowbray. Well, Oswaldo Mowbray's real name, who's Tim Roth's character, his real name is revealed to be Pete Hecox, uh, making him an ancestor to Inglorious Bastards character lieutenant archie hecox who's michael oh. fazbender's character in that movie we go okay. teamwork we got there mm. i mean inglorious bastards is the better movie but you know at least there's a well, connection to it in the we mentioned the oh, i mentioned the uh the glorified violence just a quick shout out to all the heads exploding i enjoyed that every time someone got shot in the head man they just they just exploded holy shit channing tatum he has no face at all anymore neither does Groucho the Mexican or whatever his name was. Yeah, yeah, neither does him, no. Nah. All mm. those people that are that they killed at Minis. Yeah. One of those dudes, yeah, shame. I mean like it's like up until like the end of the third chapter, I think, like there's not really much violence at all, I guess. So like I was I was happy to see, you know, Tarantino taking a bit of a, a different direction. Like I I had, I had a feeling it was all coming, but um Yeah. Yeah. You know, there was not yeah, there was nothing up until yeah. You're absolutely right. Chapter four. Like, like in, ter- in terms of like Tarantino's overstylized violence, like I'm kind of like on and off with it. I think um, in a Kill Bill Volume One, like when uh, 
when the bride like you know is like fighting the crazy ADA and like every time she cuts off someone's head or limb or whatever, like just absolutely squirts out. Like I don't really love that, and like I don't really love the violence in this movie either. Like you know, if you look at something like Django or like um Reservoir Dogs, I, th- I think it's a uh, I think it's a bit better. You know, I don't know why because I'm pretty like it's yeah. it's all the same, I guess. But um, yeah, it's just something personally. Mm-hmm. I think there's something to that for me anyway because I really like it in this movie, and I'm with you on the others. Except yeah, I, I'm Kill Bill does nothing for me violence wise. So I wonder, yeah, I wonder why we dislike that there. I don't know. Maybe it's for me. Maybe it's just the genre, the connection to the fact that it's an action movie and it's trying so hard to be a zany action movie, which you know I appreciate, but I don't know. Isn't doesn't really do it for me. Maybe it's the fact that the, these genres are so I don't know different. Maybe it, with, with Inglorious Bastards is another one. Where like I'm like in that movie alone, I'm like kind of on and off with it. Where sometimes I think it works and sometimes I don't think it does. Like I think the scalping thing. Like for some reason that always gets me. When I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, it's too far. I'm like I'm like, I, I don't want to watch that on the screen. But like you know, there's other times like when they're shooting, you know, when they shoot Hitler so much that like you know it's just skin flapping around or whatever. Like you know, that's <laughs> that, that's fine. Yeah, I, I guess it's just you yeah. know, it just depends on the context of each scene. But um, yeah, I didn't love it in this movie. Maybe we're just saying we like it when it's guns. I don't know. No, because like uh, I, I, I. I I don't love the way it became a bloodbath because, like, it, it, like the, like, yeah, I don't know. Because I, 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 I like that it was that you know it was a bit tame, and then like for it to be just reversed as you know his nuts get shot, his face gets shot, his head explodes, he vomits blood. The, you know, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it was definitely the most like extreme in this movie. I felt like. I guess you two are just wrong. Wow. <laughs> Did you? I mentioned earlier that I didn't, I didn't feel like there was, like, one moment that it built to, like, the good, the bad, and the ugly. How do you feel about that, Zach? Do you feel like it there was? I kind of agree with you. I, I do agree with you there. But it's not a – it doesn't bother me at all because I feel like the sequence of events that we get in that second half is just so, to me, like, bang, 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 that, sure, it doesn't feel like we get one climactic thing, but – I was so engaged and entertained by all of those individual moments that didn't really bother me. Like mm. getting the flashback, getting the poison, getting the vomit, getting the lineup, getting Channing Tatum, like all these just hitting back to back. I was like so in on that ride. All right, are we yeah, we're good. Yeah. Yeah, we'll give our scores and then we'll think about something that we can talk about after, like we usually do. Sure, sure. <laughs> I'm sure that'll happen. Scores and a ten. I'll give it a nine again. I gave it this the first time. I love it. Love this movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just, it totally, totally vibes with me. I do zone out some little points, but overall I feel like it does, it totally just grabs me with its structure and what it's trying to do when it's characters and it's dialogue. And all. it's just kind of entrancing to me in this, uh, in a kind of somewhat describable way, if you trust anything I've said throughout this entire thing. But, uh, but yeah, what about yous? Bill, say that again. Use. <laughs> Try again, mate. Try again. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. No, nah, I'm not trying again. I own it. Bloody Aussies. Well, am I not going to get a response until I say it right? I mean, I was, I was letting Fizzy go, but um, if that if that's the protest oh, we're taking. Okay. I, yeah. I interpreted it that way. Okay. But, yeah. Fizzy, okay. Yeah. Fizzy. Oh. 
what do you think, Jaden? Uh, seven. I think it's probably like I still think it's I think it's great, obviously, but um, I think it's like my second least favorite Tarantino film. But um, right. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot to love about it. I think we talked about a lot of it. Um, but there's there's just things that hold me back from really giving it any more than what it is like and it's 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 things that can be overlooked and forgiven like is which is like what you're doing Finny. but it's just like you know for me personally you know like it's just things that would have made it better to mesh with me more you know like 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 things that we mentioned earlier um yeah yeah that's why i'm just holding back and giving it a seven i get it i get it I'll, I'll give it an eight. I think um it does the, like, I think, like, each, it's kind of a movie with a lot of confrontations and the way that each confrontation builds tension with just, like, the dialogue alone is kind of, it's entertaining throughout and, you know, it has a great, like, claustrophobic atmosphere and, uh, yeah, I, I'll give it an eight. All right, all right. News chat. Jesus, we got a lot this week, so let's just let's try and get through it uh, relatively fast, I guess. Netflix is introducing a speed-up feature. It's coming to Android in the next few weeks. Discuss. Um, I think I heard them, like, talking about a beta for this feature, like, a few years ago, and I remember, like, there was a discussion there. Um, I mean, obviously, I hate it, but, you know, you look at Netflix series, like, Warrior Nun and shit. Like, you know, they're just basically glorified YouTube videos. So, I mean, speed that shit up. I don't care. But, um, you know, yeah. I mean, um, is it a feature I'm going to use? No. Is it a feature that they can implement and people are going to use? Yeah. Do I care? Sure. I guess kind of, but not really. Sure. Sure. I feel like this is worth bringing up. I feel like, you know, some interesting conversations can come about similar to the whole <laughs> watching movie on phones thing. But, uh. I, dude, I got no issue with this whatsoever. Could not care less. Am I going to use it? No, I'm 100% not. Absolutely with you there, Jaden. But totally harmless. People can use it if they want. I don't care. Look, there are many things that people do that, in my opinion, ruin the viewing experience of a film. You know, watching on phones in the car, potentially, watching with on your phone speakers. Many things, you know, that people can do right now that in my opinion is a terrible viewing experience. This is just one more, whatever. Come on, Fitzy, have you got a hot take on this? No, it's good. Um, you know, more options. Um, I think speeding up can be good for like documentaries where it's just information. Sure. Um, and it's not trying to give like an actual cinematic, cinematic, cinematic effect. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I like, you know, more options the better. Yeah, I can't wait to have the Irishman in an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That might be helpful for that one. It might also help with a lot of their, you know, pretty trash, you know, seasons of television that you can just like dart through. So I mean, not? I know people that use like the, because you know, like they have the 10 second forward and backward feature already. I know people who abuse that and they just skip through it anyway. So I mean, like it's not really that different anyway. Mm, mm, yeah. God, that's weird. Imagine doing that. Like, that's like I get speeding up because you're still able to intake the information. Skipping is just skipping. Like, you're not even receiving anything of what you'd have skipped. Yeah, no. I mean, unless you've already seen the movie and you just want to skip. Oh, sure. Well, then, yeah. 
I used the uh, I used the rewind ten seconds all the time when I realized I was zoning out for like fifteen seconds, and I'm like, oh shit, just start back real quick. I like it. Yeah. Really, uh, I just take that as part of the film and just give that you know part of criticism of the fact that they couldn't hold my attention. Screw them. I'm gonna spend another fifteen seconds in your shitty film, you know. <laughs> Um, do you guys use, um, subtitles often? Yeah, pretty much. Like, most of the time. Really? Wow. I feel like, I I use them sometimes, I feel like I should use them more, though. Do you use them for games? Yeah, All the time, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't want to, like, miss anything, I don't have to, like, like, go back or anything. Mm. Yeah, I get that. that. For some products, like... You know, like sitcoms like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or like Community or whatever, I don't usually chuck them on because, you know, you don't, you don't miss too much dialogue. But if it's like, you know, some English drama where there's some strong accents, you know, yeah, you might want to chuck them on. Yeah, I was about to mention mm. this is England. Like, I could, couldn't interpret what the heck they were saying, so I <laughs> yeah. captions for that. Yeah. I remember watching uh, This Is uh, Sunderland Till I Die, um, and, like, the guy's northern accent was so strong that, like, not even like you know having a feature on like Netflix had to chuck subtitles on it. Like he was speaking perfect English, but like you know it, like the accent was so strong and just so different. Like they're like yeah, no, nah, no one's gonna understand. There you go. I need to do that more. All right. Well, I thought we were getting a bit more ranty on that, so I'm glad that that skewed a bit more positive. However, here we go, guys. Uh, Disney Plus Mulan, obviously meant to have theatrical releases multiple times, but now. It'll be releasing on Disney Plus, also in theaters at the same time. So if you're in a place where theaters are open, you can do that. But uh, the film will be releasing on Disney Plus. You have to have a Disney Plus subscription. But the catch is you have to play, uh, pay an extra thirty US dollars, forty one Australian dollars, on top of your subscription price to be able to watch Mulan, which you would then lose uh, if you unsubscribe from Disney Plus. But then presumably get it back if you resubscribe. I presume it's just always tied to your account, but who cares about that? I, I, I kind of like spent myself talking about it last night to you boys. So uh, Fizzy, if you can uh, take over. But like, I mean, I don't know. I, it, it just pisses me off that this is something that they're going to try. And I, I like, like I was saying last night, like, I, I, I hope no one does it so that it doesn't become a new thing. Because if this becomes a new precedent for streaming services where uh, we'll charge people $10 and then, we can get them another. We can we'll we'll get another forty dollars, you know, by them purchasing this exclusive. I mean, it's just another disgusting attempt by despotic companies to make more money. I mean, and it's it's I mean it's it's really telling that Disney's the first one to try it because you know they're great little bastards. Zach did bring up an interesting an interesting argument last night because I was saying if you're going to release it on, in theaters and Disney Plus at the same time, who's going to pay forty dollars to watch it on Disney Plus when you can pay twelve dollars at a theater to watch it? But he was bringing up the, th- the thing about, you know, if you're a family of four, you know, and you could just bang out $40 this, this time and you get to, you know, see it, then it, 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 it is the more cost-effective thing. But the another thing I hate about it is the fact that they tell you that you own this film now once you buy it for $40, but you don't own it. It's, you know, on this digital service that the minute you decide, actually, no, I no longer want this shit, you know, they're going to rip it away from you as well. So there's another $40 gone. I mean, like, it's a... Yeah, I think it's a hard move, and I really hope, like I said earlier, I hope no one buys into it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I suppose, but like, people pay forty dollars to go to the theater, and you don't own that experience. You just pay, for, you know, you pay for the viewing of the one. Yeah, but you're paying for you're paying for a cinema experience. You know, you like, I'm not going to sit at home on my shitty couch, you know, pay forty dollars to witness, you know, some B grade film. 
People go to the theatre like to pay to view the movie. That's what they're literally paying for. Yeah, but it's the cinema experience still. And the only reason the cinemas are so expensive is because, you know, people, like they, they, they bring in their own snacks and shit when they're not, you know, buying the cinema snacks and they're stealing more money from the cinemas. So shit just gets driven up again and people complain about the prices. And I mean, like, it's, it's, just, a, it's, it's just a cycle of, you know, people need to learn to support their local cinema and shit won't be so expensive. But like, no, we want to take in snacks from Coles. Like, stop buying shit from Coles. Just buy shit from the cinema. Holy shit. Wow. We've got hot takes here. You're endorsing. Wow. I mean, personally, I'd rather not buy a $38 large Coke, you know? That's just my preference. Yeah, well, they're not thirty eight dollars, are they? <laughs> they may as well be. If you buy if you buy thirty eight dollar coke now, then in the future they're going to be you know thirty six dollars. So it'd be all right, you know. Support your local cinema. Don't buy shit from other places. Oh well, there we go. It was a, definitely an interesting move, and it could very well become a precedent, which I also lean towards. It. I hope not. I'm with you there. But uh, what else we got? We got guys. Get hyped. Best news of all time. John Wick 5 has been announced, and it's filming back-to-back with John Wick 4 early next year. Holy shit. Get friggin' hyped. I'm so excited. I heard that. I was like, this is this is dope. Imagine if they do a Matrix Reloaded Revolutions. They both release in the same year. <sighs> Mind blown. Simultaneous release around the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Would you, would you get in the cinema at 2am to watch John Wick 4? Uh, I mean, no, no, no. I, I mean, if I could see it the next morning, no. I assume that's what you mean. I, sh- I assume you're just saying, yeah. like, if, it, if that's when it opens, yeah, no. Nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if, of course, if it, that's all the only time you can see it, then obviously yes. All right, great um, to see you guys share my enthusiasm. <laughs> well, I haven't, I haven't seen John Wick three, but like. Was, like John Wick Three, it, it looked like it was kind of on a big scale, and like each film kind of has gone like up in scale in a way. So are they just gonna like keep doing that, like just keep getting bigger? Or like sure. What they do. Probably. Yeah, each film has gotten bigger, hasn't it? Because the first one is just like yeah. stays in New York, doesn't it? And the second one, they go to Europe and then head to Africa. Mm. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, they go all over the place in three. Yeah. Out of space yeah. next time. Go to space, yeah, yes. Yeah, only with Tom Cruise in space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crossover. Amazing. John Wick's is uh, is uh, Ethan Hunt's new target. Yeah, John oh. Wick is. <laughs> Let's try and be a bit rapid fire with these. Uh, Raised by Wolves, Ridley Scott TV show for HBO Max. You saw the trailer, Jaden, and you said it looked kind of trash. Yeah, the trailer did nothing for me. Um the the trailer like, like just the coloring alone is just so boring like like I, I, like when i've talked about it um you know just before the show like it's all just gray and just looks like just bland and like mm-hmm. there was one cgi shot of like a city getting bombed and like it, it looked really bad um and like the story wise i was also talking to finny about it like the it seems like the story is kind of similar to horizon zero dawn where you know this new generation of people has to be raised by this ai thing um so like just it was just a combination of those things and like like even the acting didn't seem like like bang on so I mean like I I I'm not overly keen on it. But it is Ridley Scott returning to some Android shit, so I mean fans of Blade Runner and the Alien franchise, mm. I guess. Can't get mm. excited. People who like Blade Runner can get excited. Mm. I definitely won't be one of them. 
Have you um have you seen many of Ridley Scott's? Other, like, this is a discussion we should have had last week, uh, two weeks ago, I guess. But um, like because like Scott's films aren't like the characters aren't always that interesting. Like, I think like I think there's obvious exceptions like when you look at like Thelma and Louise and like Alien and the Alien franchise and like Gladiator and stuff like that. But if you look at films like Black Hawk Down and All the Money in the World, um, you know, and 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 now seemingly this show, like the characters are just dull, emotionless, and like just the story in general, like the way it's executed, just doesn't seem, you know, that enticing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I say this, I'm not speaking to his skill at all, because again, in- extremely talented, you know, blah blah blah, all the rest, but. Ridley Scott kind of strikes me as a bit of a Steven Spielberg type, just in the sense that he just does so many movies of so varying genres all over the place that you kind of, him being attached to something, sure he's a name, but like it doesn't really speak to its quality automatically by default or anything like that. Mm. And yeah, characters do contribute. I don't know. Most of his films and Spielberg's films are still quality. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. But I mean... Uh, yeah, sure. But, like, you kind of get varying, like, just random Hollywood blockbuster stuff um, mixed with true stories, mixed with very specific genre films, mixed with all over the place, mixed with now TV shows. Like, it, it just kind of loses a bit of identity of what kind of filmmaker he really is. He just kind of attaches himself to everything. Mm. Which isn't a bad thing, necessarily. It just kind of creates a thing for me where I kind of lose interest. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, there's directors in a part. Like, I mean, Kubrick's done just about everything from, like, horror to war to romance to, you know, everything else. But, like, you know, his films are still very easily identifiable because he's created his own, you know, distinct style. Whereas I feel like, you know, mm. Scott and Spielberg don't really have the same thing. Sure. Uh, well, I was going to say, like, Spielberg kind of does have the same, like, have a similar thing where, like, his, his, one of his primary things is, like, ordinary people in extraordinary situations. So I guess, like, you know, he does kind of have mm. that in his thing. Yeah. But, um, well, he has yeah. very sentimental as well, kind of like schmaltzy style. Did you say schmaltzy? Yeah, like... Um, what does that mean? Yeah. I don't know. Just, like, heartfelt and, like, sentimental. Oh, okay, okay. I see that. Is Jaws very sentimental? I mean, yeah, probably not. But, like, I don't know, like, E.T. and, like... Um, Ready Player One had me bawling. Ready Player One. No, no, we're we're actually exposing you, but I totally get what you mean. I hundred percent get it. Yeah. Rebecca remake, a Hitchcock film from nineteen forty, getting remade. Dan, have oh, you really? seen the original? No, I've got it. I've, I've, yeah, no, I've um, I've got it, and I've, it's just sitting there waiting for me to watch it. But uh, I haven't got around to it. But it's a very famous film. I think it's it's you know it's one of Hitchcock's it's pretty like Hitchcock's like fifth or sixth most famous film, I'd say. But um, I think remaking it's an interesting thing because I mean like it, it it kind of feels like one of those classics that's not to be touched. I mean it hasn't been touched for like eighty years now. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure how to feel about it. But uh, I mean the cast mm-hmm. and the directors got me interested, I guess. Who's the director? Uh, ben Wheatley. Who, um, ben Wheatley. Yeah. Um, let me quickly bring up his uh, thing because I forgot. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's done um, things like High Rise and uh, Free Fire, um, which I think are great. He's done other films like uh, Kill List and stuff like that. So um, 
Yeah, I'm a, I'm um I'm alright with a uh, him. Cool. Um let me actually get to the rapid fire of the rapid fire. Um actually you know what? I'm gonna take that back immediately. Let's just go straight to Fitzy. I'm thinking of ending things trailer. Mm. You're interested in this for some reason, apparently. Let me know. You're telling about yeah, the writer? Yeah. I don't know anything about this. Let me know. What's going on? Uh, yeah, I'll inform me. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of ending things. Well, it was a, it's a novel adaption, but it's by written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. I think it's written by, it's at least directed by. And uh, Charlie Kaufman's has an amazing, uh, you know, filmography for his like scripts and his his uh, movies, he wrote Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, being John Malkovich, and um, there was another one he wrote for someone, uh, Adaption, and he also wrote and directed uh, Synecdoche in New York and Bloody Anomalisa. Um, so, yeah, he's like hyper talented uh, screenwriter, and um, he's never really done anything horror but his films are so his films are so weird and out there they kind of delve into that territory and so uh you know the trailer is just kind of um his usual uh extremely off-putting weird style mixed with horror which makes it seem like absolutely terrifying so (laughs) yeah it's coming to netflix i'm very excited for it i guess when is it coming September 4th. Oh, cool. Not far. And he's making... He wrote the script for as long as... Uh, with other people for Chaos Walking as well, which is coming next year maybe. Uh, with has like Tom Holland and uh, some other people Daisy I can't Ridley. remember right now. Doug Lehman directed. yeah. Patrick Ness wrote the novel. All right, that's it for news. What have we been watching? I'll go first just to get out of the way. I watched Unhinged. This Russell Crowe movie went to the theatre while I could. What's it about, you ask? It's about Russell Crowe. He's this angry guy. He gets road rage. He's really pissed, you know, this pissed dude. That's literally, that's an amazing, that's his character. He's pissed guy. And he uh, just goes on a rampage, yeah. He just wants to start killing some people. Wants to start causing some mayhem, some violence. So he does that for 90 minutes. And uh, that's the movie. And uh, it's totally unoriginal. It's not really, yeah. I mean, I, what I described was like literally it. So it definitely doesn't sound all that interesting. But uh, I enjoyed it. You know, I was along for the ride. The film's just totally trying to be exactly what I said and just trying to, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's not trying to do anything too mind-blowing. I appreciate it. it had some like clever plot beats, I thought. Not, I don't know. Clever might be exaggerated, but like I thought the plot was kind of, it had some elements that I thought were well executed in regards to, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying it like this because it's like at the end of the day, it's just so Russell Crowe, it's just all excuses so Russell Crowe can go and, you know, do violent shit. Uh, but Russell Crowe, you know, he's cool. I enjoyed his performance. I appreciate that the director seemed to just say, Russell, just try and be a psycho for us. And that's literally what he did. And I enjoyed it because he's Russell Crowe. Um, so, yeah, no, I liked it a lot. I think my enjoyment mainly just came from the fact that I was just along for the ride. You know, didn't have to think too much about it at all. And, uh, and yeah, unhinged. 
check it out if you like the idea of a really short, it's a really short movie, which was also a pro in my opinion. Didn't overstay its welcome at all. You're in, you're out. A little Russell Crowe mayhem. So if that sounds up your alley. Say, say Russell Crowe one more time. Russell Crowe, Russell Crowe, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe deserves his name to be said as many times as I deem necessary, Fitzy, actually, just so you know. No, I just needed that one more. Thanks. Academy Award winner, Russell Crowe. Golden Exits. Uh, It's this indie film from Alex Ross Perry. Um, I liked it. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, It's just a bit of a soft talk, you know, indie film. Not much else to say about it. Uh, Living in Oblivion, um, Steve Buscemi, he's this filmmaker guy, and um, he's this low-budget filmmaker, and, like, everything that could go wrong goes wrong on the set. It's like he's trying to get this one shot, but, like, every time something interferes with it, and so he needs to, like, redo it, and um, (laughs) it's, like, very creative film. It's got, like... Uh, it's got like this black and white style, and in the at the start, and then it kind of changes, and there's a dream. It's very dreamy, and uh, it's got P- Peter Dinklage in it at one point, and some cool. other great actors. Yeah, and then I just rewatched um, Boyhood. Very special occasion. Um, yeah, I don't. I pretty much rewatch it uh like once a year pretty much, so just getting that rewatch in, you know. Great Sure, sure. No, we've really lost some momentum, haven't we? I feel like the only way I can kind of energize this segment again is to just keep saying Russell Crowe's name and maybe I'll conjure some kind of enthusiasm in all of us. I think that sapped it all out. Real okay, maybe it had the opposite effect. I think you're right actually. Well, whose name can we say to get to bring it all back? Well, it's the director of X-Men Origins, Wolverine. Oh, something Hood, wasn't it? Shit. Gavin Hood. It was Gavin Hood. No shit, it was. Okay, okay. Oh, Gavin I'm Hood. excited now. Thank Gavin God. Hood. Gavin Hood. Gavin Hood. Terrible CG. Gavin Hood. Now you're hyped again, Jaden. Hmm. Are you going to keep every Gavin Hood in the in the final uh, edit? Every Every single one. Sick. I rewatched some like it hot. Um, I didn't realize I was rewatching it. Well, I had a feeling I'd, I'd seen it before, but um, it wasn't until I started watching it that I realized, oh yeah, no, I have seen this all. Um, but it was nonetheless great. It's uh, stars Marilyn Monroe and uh, some other blokes who I can't recall right now. And it's 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 just a it's a comedy about these these two dudes trying to escape the Chicago mob, and they you know they dress up as women and they join an all girls band and they head down to Florida. Um, and like you know shenanigans ensue. Um, that's great. It's really great. It's got a lot of heart and a lot of charm, and like it's very like a. I'm. I mean, I, yeah, I'd consider it rather progressive because, like, you know, you've got, you know, you, you have two cross dressing characters, but then like you know you like you know they're not serious. It's that's a bit of a laugh, but um, but then one of them like one of them ends up in a relationship with the dude, and like you know like the, just like the whole film is very you know, I mean for 1959, you know, I, I'd consider it a bit progressive. Sure. Um, yeah. I watched Dario Argento's Inferno, which is the second film in the uh, Three Mothers series, the first one being Suspidia. Um, 
So this video is brilliant. It's like the best horror film I've ever seen. It's just a brilliant, you know, study of color and just gorgeous story and brilliant storytelling. Um, yeah, like, like everything about this video is great. Like the soundtrack by Goldman. Um, and Inferno has elements of that, but it misses out on having an engaging story because it's got the same color and the same acting and characters and type of thing. And, but it just, there's a big hole in the middle of it missing, which is the fact that it's not that engaging and the story it's cr- it crafts is not, you know, entertaining enough. It does. Um, mm-hmm. One of the better parts about it is that it does elevate um, Suspidia a bit further by adding to the story, the, st- the lore about it, like, you know, the three mothers and like, you know, like, which is three different witches around the world and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, but Inferno was a yeah, seven out of 10, pretty good. Um, I watched The Ritual, which is a Netflix horror film. Um, that was actually a lot better than I thought it would be. Um, it's a, it, it, it's about four blokes going on a bit of a lad's holiday to Sweden. Um, that really undersells what happens, but, uh, you know, um, and like, you know, they go hiking and, you know, uh, troubles occur as someone gets injured and they try to take shortcuts with the forest and, uh, you know, crazy shit happens in Swedish forests, you know? Um, uh, but that was really good. It, it crafted tension really well. And, um, you know, the, the, the dilemmas that each character does have, like, you know, just like personal issues and issues with, like, you know, just like, you know, with each of their relationships with each other and stuff, like the way that they unfold, you know, it's all rather good. It's being compared to the descent a bit just because it's like that same kind of thing about, you know, a group of all male this time, but all female in the descent, you know, they go to this, you know, they're going on a holiday all together, which they traditionally do or whatever. And like, you know, as they go there, things go wrong and there's problems with someone, you know, and like the, the story in that terms is like rather similar, but the settings and what occurs are different enough that I think it distinguishes its own, you know, personality. Um, it crossed the way they craft attention as well is, is rather different and rather good because the, the, what the ritual does is that the camera tends to just hang behind someone for a bit too long. And like, you get this feeling that there's an there's someone else there and you're looking for it. Or, you know, there's just a shot of nothing, just like the woods. And you're just waiting to see something, but like, you know, you don't see it until like, you know, the reveal. Um, that was pretty good. Um, I watched the man who knew too much, which is, mm, uh, it's a, it's, it's an Alfred Hitchcock film, but it's actually a remake of one of his earlier films. Um, uh, that was okay. Um, it kind of had that traditional, like Hitchcock, like, you know, playing with the audience type of chicanery, you know, the bit of suspense and a bit of a, you know, a bit of twists and turns type of thing. But it, um, it falters quite a bit in terms of like, once again, it's not that, um, it doesn't really grasp you and it doesn't hold you all the time. Um, I then watched Rope, which is another Hitchcock film, and that is brilliant, like absolutely ten out of ten brilliant. Um, it's a it's actually adapted from a stage play, um, so it's, it's, it has this one setting, which is just this New York apartment, and you know it's about these two blokes who kill their friend, and then they have a party, um, and that the person they murdered is like hidden in the room while his family is there too, and like it's just unbelievably tense and you know the films are just like this rising tension throughout 
until like, you know, it all explodes or something that happens. And it's all shot in like a one take similar style. I think it's actually six shots. But just it, you know, oh, wow. to, to to enhance like that um to enhance that like, you know, stage type of effect, you know, it's all it's all that type of thing. Um but Rope is brilliant. I think it's, it's, it's my favorite Hitchcock film I've seen. Um, like I said before, just 10 out of 10 straight up. Um, rewatched Snatch, but I've talked about Snatch enough. I feel like, you know, 10 out of 10 straight up. Um, and then I re- then I watched um, Shadow of a Doubt, which is also Hitchcock, which is a um, pretty decent too. Gave it an 8 out of 10. Uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really have much more to say about that one. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's just classic Hitchcock, you know. In terms of mm-hmm. mystery, suspense, twists, so on. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Now it's time for a question of the show. Last week we asked, what did we ask? Oh yeah, best best original song in any movie. Uh okay, I'm preparing, I'm preparing to read. I have to mentally conjure the will to not screw up words. I'm really scared about all this to be honest. I just need everyone to know that. I stuff up these words because I think I speak part, well, already stuffing it. I think I speak on behalf of all three of us that uh, the effort it takes to conjure correct sounding sentences for the length that we record the show is pretty difficult already. And now I actually have to read someone else's sentences. I'm making excuses, but regardless. Luke said, best original song, you say? Yes. Thanks, Luke. Appreciate the, uh, yeah. You need only to turn to the fine musical pages of the great man himself, Phil Collins. Take a ponder at his works of fine Disney films and your eyes will come across the divine lyrics and soundtrack of a humble film called Tarzan. Strangers Like Me would have to be my favourite from the list, although You'll Be In My Heart had much more success as it was released as a mainstream song. Also, Strangers Like Me was upbeat. Literally, the drums in that slapped. They literally slapped, wow and not only pleased the eardrum of any film viewer, but also was effectively used as a cinematic device, God, he said, God, classic essay writing here, to show the growing relationship between the Tarzan, between Tarzan, not the Tarzan, and Jane. What can I say? 90s Disney movies just rocked. Hell yeah, man. Lachlan said... Tarzan's got to be one song. of the worst Disney movies, though, doesn't it? I don't know. I feel like I've seen it once. Can't remember it. Is that is that its reputation? I don't think it's, it's uh, like I'm not sure if that's its reputation, but like in my mind, when I think about just Disney films, Tarzan is one of the, uh, you know, the lower, you know, categories. Yeah, it's definitely not at the top of my mind. Lachlan said, "Here we are speaking of Disney films. The song Barking at the Moon from the movie Bolt is a song you can vibe to for hours. Just amazing. That was an amazing answer, Lachlan. Thank you very much. I appreciate it." That song resonates with me too, you know, Miley Cyrus, I think, maybe, singing that, probably. She's in that movie, so I guess she'd sing it. Yeah, cool. Henry said, oh no, here we go. Ah, German words. I would probably say my favourite original song for a film would be Com Suzer Todd. That's definitely not right, but at least I didn't stumble. From the end of Evangelion. <laughs> it provides a somber and haunting backdrop to the absolute insanity of the third impact scene, which I'll link if you're curious. And Henry linked that uh, in the YouTube description if you're curious, as he said. I think, did I say Evangelion right again? I feel like I stuff it up every time. Just roll with it. I can't remember. Okay, okay. 
I feel like that pronunciation of that word's cinema effect law at this point. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. That's a top page, top column. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, what are our answers? I'll go first because it's generic as hell. Lion King, Circle of Life, Goosebumps <laughs> Every Time. <laughs> Come on. Come on. That's all there is to it. Um, Miss Misery uh, by Elliot Smith in um, Goodwill Hunting. There's oh, um, yeah. five Elliot Smith songs in Goodwill Hunting. One is instrumental between the bars, but four of them are from his either or album, I think. Well, at least three of them are. And um, but Miss Miss Misery was created for the movie, and he won an Oscar for it, I think, or at least he sang at the Oscars for Goodwill Hunting. Um, it, yeah, plays at the end of the movie and was highly recognised at the time. It kind of brought him more into the spotlight, which um, was good. He didn't he didn't exactly like it that much, but it was, uh, yeah, it's a great song. I mean, Elliot Smith is my favourite uh, singer, songwriter in general, so I love that. Oh, yeah, there uh, you go. Uh, yeah. I've kind of got two, I guess. Um, I think the, fir- the first one is... Uh, Young and Beautiful from The Great Gatsby by Alana Del Rey. Um, I think it's brilliant. It, it complements the film so well, but it also works as its own song, you know. Um, and I mean, especially like there's a, there's a there's also an orchestral version, um, and that version as well is just so brilliantly assists the movie. But then um, my other answer is uh, uh, Open Again from um, the Suspedia soundtrack for 2018 by uh, Tom York. Um, actually, in saying that, the original Suspedia soundtrack by Goblin is actually banging. Um, but uh, but yeah, no. So for that film, Tom York composed he he composed the soundtrack, but he also did like four original songs. I think it is, and um, yeah, they're they're all bangers in their own way. So yeah, they're uh, that's my pick. Awesome, awesome. Well, that was Samurai Effect. Thanks for tuning in to Center Effect this week, guys. So we appreciate all of you for doing so. Fitzy, what are we watching next week? We're watching Hunger. No, we're not watching Hateful Eight. Uh, Sorry. That's funny. Um, Directed by um, um, Steve McQueen. Oh, yeah. We also did uh, Shame Shame and Widows and... uh, and um, Twelve Years a Slave, all that good stuff, uh, and it's got Michael Fassbender. God, you're spoiling next week's data dump. It's awesome. but um, you know you gotta keep them interested. Michael Fassbender is a household name. That's true. Where can people yeah. see it? Stan, if you don't have Stan, why why are you watching Cinema Effect? We uh, endorse Stan here. Stan is our number one source of cinema, of kino, of movies, film, all the types of media. So you got to get Stan or you're not a a real supporter of the show, Mm. you know, technically. Stan is the Uh, best thing since sliced bread. Put it on the box. 
Definitely. That'll get us a sponsor. That's all this is. We're trying so hard for Spanda uh, to sponsor us. Yeah. Um, I think part of the reason that they don't would be that if I had to read an ad for Stan on this show, I wouldn't be able to read it. So yeah, but you just I think it's a pretty valid reason. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I really should do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool beans. That was this week's show. Guys, cheers for joining me and talking shit about movies. That's what I like most. That's all right. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're all here for. Mm. All right. I hope everyone enjoyed this week's edition of The Decline of All Three of Us. And uh, we'll see you for next week's edition of The Very Same Thing. Have a great rest of your week and goodbye.